Take your vitamins and listen to the Hot Tag Wrestling Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. I'm your featured attraction, Brian Dusky. I am the... <laughs> I'm Nikki Fontaine. I ain't got nothing today. This has been a while. Plain one. and simple. It's easy. <laughs> you ain't got to get into the details. Okay, so uh, we got a lot to talk about today. Uh, before we really get into like what happened recently, uh, let's talk about... We mentioned on the podcast last week that we were going to SmackDown uh, live. <laughs> we ended up going... So if you guys listened to this last week, you, you heard that I was going one way, he was going another way. We actually ended up going together because at the last minute, I was getting free tickets for my work, and it uh, turned out that a guy was giving up some, so I snagged some off him, and I invited you and a buddy of ours, Will, to show together, and we had... Uh, actually, had really good seats. We had box seats. Uh, and it was a good, I enjoyed it. Uh, going back, looking at the show, it was not a great show. There's always this, because I've been to a few pay-per-views, and they, objectively, by other people, they're not good pay-per-views. But I always still have a good time, because I feel like it's always a better experience when they're live. Like, it's like false glasses over it, you know, that you're kind of having a better time than what it actually is. Yeah, it's, I mean... The live experience usually kind of always makes it better. Uh, I mean, case in point, I mean, last night I mean, at, Friday, at SmackDown, I enjoyed the show as well. I think if I went back and watched it on TV, I probably had some different opinions. Because right. I did try to watch and I was, wasn't able to finish through. But even uh, thir- a WrestleMania 34, like I said, I would not call that a great WrestleMania. But being there, the experience is always way better live. You get a, a better feel because you're a part of the audience. You feel more involved. Uh, so it definitely had a lot to, uh, to, to contribute to that. Uh, I had some highlights from that that I did really enjoy. We were sitting next to some guys uh, during the 205, uh, during the Hope <laughs> Run, and uh, they, didn't, they didn't really know anybody's name in the ring, and I think it was during... Um, God, was it what match was that during? Oh, oh Jesus! I can't, oh, I can't, I can't remember the match off the top of my head. But they didn't know who the name of the wrestlers are, and I think I'm drawing a blank now too, so I can't be any better. But they literally called him. Uh, I got pants versus no pants. Who you guys got? So it's funny to kind of watch people who don't really know the product, but in, you know, are there to enjoy and kind of you know soak it in. So because you know they obviously have a different opinion on it. Uh, but yeah, it was a it was a good time. My highlight of the show was the opening promo. Uh, where they had uh, members of Team Flair, members of Team Hogan, and then a bunch of random dudes because some of them were on Raw. And clearly, if you're on Raw and SmackDown is happening, you're barred from the arena. There's like security outside, you know, it's just... Nothing can be done. You can't get in. So the thing was, Baron Corbin, King Corbin, excuse me, was out there delivering a promo, and he at one time mentioned, I will rule. And we just yell, (laughs) I will rule you! (laughs) Oh, Jimmy King reference, if you haven't seen Ready to Rumble. Uh, Which, by the way, future episodes, we talked about this at the show, Uh, we do want to review wrestling films, because that... That kind of hit my head as soon as we saw that, and I started. And I don't know if you've if you've seen this, but CM Punk recently did. Ah, uh, what magazine was it? I don't remember, but there was a YouTube channel for a magazine that he did a, a was video. Was it It could have been, but I don't remember. But anyway, he was doing it where he was reacting to scenes from wrestling. Films. That was variety. Yeah, and he was talking about like how accurate they are and mm-hmm. like all this stuff. It was really interesting. I mean, obviously they talked about the wrestler, which he rightfully so commended about how accurate it is 
And then he like knocked Nacho Libre. <laughs> and then he said it was the first time that he had seen. Uh, he never he had never seen Ready to Rumble. I would love to watch Ready to Rumble with CM Punk. Oh my god! <laughs> well, that was the funny thing was that 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 movie features like actual scenes at like a WCW show. But like the scene he reviewed was where they're wrestling inside of a gas station. <laughs> Uh, speaking of CM Punk, and I kind of making a weird transition, I don't want to go too much on this, but uh, if anybody actually watches 205 Live, Brian Kendrick cut a very interesting promo, which yeah. I've, st- I've been rap- trying to wrap my mind around this for the last six days, because I couldn't tell if it was like a work shoot or if it was just part of his gimmick right now, uh, but... The reason I kind of thought it was a shoot because he kept saying the word pro wrestler over time. Like, at first I was kind of keeping a running tally, but by the time I got to about seven times, like, oh, he's really leaning into this. Right. And he never really attacked anybody specifically. He he was making, like, a, like a very broad general grievance about people, uh, you know, disrespecting the business and, you know, just throwing their bags in the back and not, you know, talking to the guys who are veterans in the business. And then he just kind of walked off. So, I mean... Maybe that's on me for not watching more 205 Live, but it definitely kind of like, it stood out very much. I don't know how you, what you thought about it. Yeah, no, I thought it was good. Uh, like, like there was, like, and I'll get this way with a lot of promos in the future. Uh, I, I, like, it was one that I was watching and I was like, that was good. It went on a little too long. Like, he kind of, like, leaned into it to where I think the, he lost the audience. But, uh, no, yeah, he was really leaning into that pro wrestler thing because he was talking about how, like, you used to be you have to earn the right to call yourself a pro wrestler. Now it's just if you're in WWE, you're a pro wrestler. Yeah. And uh, that was and that was really no, I I completely agree. I thought it was really good. Um, I think it was like it's not like Vince watches this shit. <laughs> right. I think that's kind of the thing about 205 Live in general is they can get away with a lot more. So I don't know if that was just kind of him just kind of having fun because he even mentioned that nobody was left in the back other than the people who were still there to perform. But uh. It it definitely stood out amongst everything that I saw at least on the you know after the show had ended. Yeah, I completely agree. So uh, we're gonna move forward uh, with the show, everybody. Uh, we got a lot lined up. We got a three count like usual. We're gonna talk about our moments of the week. Uh, we're also going to talk about this whole uh, Jordan Miles controversy. We'll save that for later, though. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're gonna talk about that, um, and then uh, we're gonna we're gonna end it. We're gonna talk about uh, Chris Jericho's time in uh, ECW. Let's start off. We're going to talk about the three count. We're going to talk about the most recent big thing that has happened, which was the match between Seth Rollins and The Fiend, Bray Wyatt. Uh, so going into this, a lot of people were cynical, I guess is the best word. Uh, they were afraid what was going to happen. But a lot of people were also, because of everything that's happened, they were like, what are they going to do next? I did legitimately don't know. The Fiend is on SmackDown, and the Universal title is a Raw championship. So we didn't know where this was going to go. As usual, that has been now a custom for The Fiend. He wrestled underneath the red lights. We had a Falls Count Anywhere match between him and Seth. It was a really solid match. There was a, lots of interesting spots. Uh, I thought that there was kind of some moments where you lost a little bit of it because of, because of the red light, but it also built on the atmosphere. Which I'm is not cool. a big fan of that. I mean, it's the same thing I didn't like when they did it with Sin Cara. Uh, right. I mean, it, it, it kind of made sense for the hell of a cell with the whole kind of like, you know, the what the cell is supposed to be and the whole evil thing. and Sure. But I, I thought they were going to get away from that since, you know, when he had his match with Finn, it was just, you know, regular if, lighting. If it's just in the ring, I'm fine. It was more when it went outside the ring, then you start to lose a little bit more because the lighting was completely different because the ring is still underneath the lights. So therefore, uh, the red light is right on top of it. But when you get more outside into like the crowd and stuff, 
It's a lot of black spots mixed yeah. with the red light. So it wasn't good. But anyway, getting to the point, the match ended up ending where Seth kind of threw the fiends off of the stage into like this electric area and like all these sparks fly because WWE. And then eventually, before Seth can cover him or anything, the fiend pops up, hits him with the, hits him with the mandible claw, and then eventually hits him with a sister Abigail onto the floor for the one, two, three, and. Yeah, Yeah, the Fiend Bray Wyatt is your new Universal Champion. And, and I thought it was really interesting because, and this isn't a bad thing, I just thought it was interesting. Uh, usually after a guy wins a championship, he parades around with it or he kind of like, you know, is kind of uh, smuggish with it. It was like he won it, they gave him the title, everything went black. <laughs> And then he's up at the ramp and he holds it up. And it was like a very quick thing. Usually they're like, they kind of trail with them for a while. And, but it, because of the character, it makes sense. But it was, it was kind of an interesting experience, I thought. Um, first, I'm very happy. I'm going to say this. We can move on from Hell in a Cell now. We can definitely move on. I, I because, really don't, yeah. Because, yeah, it, everything that was bad there, everything that we had frustrations in the build, it's over because it's okay right now. Now, granted, you know, you can maybe debate about effects it might have. But at the end of the day, the guy who we said it was hurting is now the universal champion. And he ended, the, he ended a reign of a guy who had it for a very long time and who is seen as the top guy in the company right now. So this is a huge deal. We don't know really where they're going to go from here because The Fiend is on SmackDown, supposedly. But it's interesting. It's interesting nonetheless. And uh, I will say that I, I had some problems with how the match was set up. As far as like how it was kind of like the storytelling side of it, I'll get into that uh, after you go. But uh, ultimately, Fiend is our champion, and that's good. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think this was definitely the best time to do it. I mean, with it's very apropos with it being Halloween. Um, I thought it was a good match. I, I too very like I said. It, I'm I'm excited for SmackDown tomorrow. Like that's a good thing. This show left me wanting to see what happens next. Um, I think as of right now, and I know, you know, you know, cars started to change, but I believe Seth and The Fiend are still scheduled to do a cage match on Raw. Uh, so, I mean, we'll see where that happens from there. Uh, but I honestly think this was the best way to go about it. Um, I think both guys did a tremendous job, you know, with, with the match. Uh, like, my whole thing with this is, like, as long as we have something where both these characters can go, and there's, you know, that I'm good with it. Um, like I said, I, I mean, I put it uh, simple and plain on my Twitter today. I, mean, I want to say, you know, thanks to Seth. Congratulations to Bray. Uh, I mean, I think all things considered, I think Seth has been a good champion up to this point. I don't know where he goes from here. Uh, I know a lot of people are clamoring for a heel change, you know, and I'm I'm, I'm of both minds. Like, I could, I could take it or leave it if he goes heel. I'd still like to watch him anyway. Uh, but I think the match really, I think, like you said, it, it should put to bed all the complaints about Hell in a Cell. We should be able to move forward with this character and now see him as a champion. But it also kind of... Like I, said, I always think about the booking moving forward. And so now even if you take Seth out of the equation, who do you line up for The Fiend? Who are going to be his first challengers? Uh, how does who does who he how does he eventually lose? Is he going to still be booked as a heel even though he has the obvious strong babyface reaction? Uh, so I mean, I'm more excited to see what happens than I have complaints about it. But I'm still very curious, and I don't know what it goes. With. But honestly, I kind of like not knowing what's going to happen. The red lighting, I'm, I can I can do without. I mean, even it's a cool aesthetic, but I can do without it altogether. Um, 
but I say I think what always happens with you have these characters who are built like monsters, uh, i.e., you know, Fiend or even Taker to Taker or uh, Kane in his heyday. When you have them built so strong, where like nothing, they're impervious to pain and everything happens. Eventually, that ends up getting watered down because somebody has to beat them. So that's always my concern: is like, are you guys gonna? Are people gonna think he's being buried just because at some point he's gonna have to look weak to somebody? Uh, I mean, it's it's. It's up in there, but like I said, I like when things are unsure in wrestling because you know it keeps you keeps me your attention. Yeah, um, I'll offer one critique uh, of the match, and that's that I kind of had this thought as I was watching it, and this was before before he had won, so I I, I wasn't of knowledge that he was winning, uh, so I was kind of afraid that he was going to lose at this point. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, the fiend is indestructible, but he is a shitty fighter because. This is such. This is the only frustration I've really like. Is what happened earlier today now makes up for Hell in a Cell. So I'm I'm almost acting like Hell in a Cell didn't happen. So I'm really saying that the the only thing I have a problem with is that every match the Fiend just gets the shit kicked out of him like consistently. Like there's of course there's spots where he does look good, but a lot of the matches him getting beat up and beat up and beat up and then he just continues to get up get up and I get it. You want to bring on to the established that he's indestructible because he's kicking out one, he's getting up after moves that usually finish guys off. And I'm good with that every once in a while to kind of show that. But I think that should be more like, like so in this match, I thought I thought that should have been more like Seth makes a comeback and hits a big move that you would think would finish him off. And then he uh, gets up and then goes back and dominates again. But it was more like Seth would be like in control convincingly for like a long time periods of time in that match and it would just be he could be getting the crap kicked out of him and so like that was one of those things that like it doesn't take me out of it i'm not saying it ruins the character but i think it communicates the character in a, in a slightly of a d- different way and i wasn't a fan of that but um that was a that was a minor nitpick can we uh before we move on to the next subject i, I this is something i've been really and i think we i've talked about this before uh wins and losses do matter but at what point do we not take the idea that sometimes a win and a loss can be something to build story on and it doesn't necessarily ruin somebody? Oh, yeah, I completely agree. And I, and I think we, we, people get so lost on that. Uh, and, and, but, but they only take they only use certain, certain things to get mad about. Case in point, Kenny Omega or anybody who's in the elite outside of Co- uh, Cody Rhodes over in uh, AEW right now. A lot of those guys have really bad win-loss records right now, yeah. but they're still booked and still looked at as top guys and no one would say that they're ruined. Bray did not lose at Hell in a Cell, but there was so much chatter. Oh, he's buried, he's buried, he's ruined, he's ruined. Why? Like, why can't we take somebody losing and still have that investment in it? So I'll say two things about that. One is that I, I don't, I did not agree that Bray was buried at that time uh, because of the reason you stated. It wasn't a technical loss. Yeah. Um, I thought it looked didn't look great because, again, like I said, he was getting beat up the entire match, and I didn't think that looked great. Um, but I think the reason that that kind of exists, but it doesn't exist with the other one is because, and here's an example is that Kenny Omega and the young bucks are kind of like, and I'm not saying they wrestle like these, but I'm just saying from a, from a legacy standpoint, Kenny Omega is, you know, maybe like a Randy Orton and then, and then let's say, you know, the young bucks are like the new day. If the new day or Randy Orton lost, uh, they, no one would say, oh my God, they're not legit anymore. You know, because they've established such such characters and such legacies to where now it's almost a big deal when they lose. And uh, it makes the other person look great. Um, as to where I think the issue with The Fiend and like 
why an issue like this happened with Bray and his original run a lot. And, you know, other guys that we accused of getting buried, such as Cesaro, Dolph Ziggler, uh, uh, Zack Ryder, guys like that, was that it was early in the run before we could become convinced that they were legitimate. And I can, I can agree with that. I just sometimes I, I like to see things play out a little bit more longer before I decide sure. someone's ruined. Now, they really drove Zack Ryder to the ground with his, his win-loss record. Yeah. And then they literally had Kane almost murder him on TV. And then he got cuckolded by John Cena. So that was a that's a burial. Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a yeah that that is a character burial hall of fame. Yeah, like, that's that, I, that's I've never seen such a shit kicking in my entire life with that one. Yeah, okay, so we're gonna talk about uh, on NXT this week. Uh, we one of the big segments of the week was uh, there was tons of women who were brawling in inside of the ring, and uh, and uh, Rhea Ripley came out and she helped out, and it just. Kind of just really turned into chaos. I mean, the center of it was Ripley and and Shayna Baszler, but there was a bunch of people. The four, you know, the four horsewomen mm-hmm. of, of Baszler were involved. Uh, Yushirai, um, Bianca Belair. Yeah, and so what happened was was William Regal interrupted, and he literally didn't say anything. He just said, "There's only one solution to this: War Games." Can I tell you that my kink is hearing William Regal just say "War Games"? <laughs> <laughs> Like, like every, every time, war games. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's coming, <laughs> and so am I. Or, or just you know, William Regal sneaks up behind you and just goes, war games, <laughs> and you're like, oh my god, I need new pants. <laughs> um, but yeah, so now this is huge uh, because we're gonna not only have another war games match, which they they are very successful, two and zero, great matches so far in WWE, but not only that, it is going to be an all female war games, which is a huge deal. Um, I think that. Uh, this this creates a lot of intrigue for this story, uh, and it without result. I th- that's what's great about it is that there's a lot of intrigue going on without resolving anything. So you're not you're not doing the kind of because I think they're building towards uh, Rhea Ripley eventually taking the title, but they're not doing it so quickly into her run. So they're kind of creating a match like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think they're cashing in and building stars out of a lot of other people who have strong potentials, such as Io Shirai. I love Io Shirai. Uh, yeah, her entrance last night. Oh, that was Whew. funny. Yeah. Can, can I just say that the, the women's roster on NXT is just stacked. It's probably as best as it's been since the days of the, four, the original Four Horsewomen. Yes, and that's what I was going to say. This is the time to do it. Yeah. Uh, and because I had a discussion with a friend uh, about a year or two ago... Uh, and it was, I think it was when Asuka was still kind of going around, like later in her run. And it was talking about how, oh man, the women's division is, just isn't what it used to be. But if you think about it, so we talk about the heyday of the women's division. That's when we had the original four horse women, and then Alexa Bliss was there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, and, uh, you know, uh, even like Dana Brooke to an extent and people like that. You think about it. Emma. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you think about it. All those women mentioned. They were not, they were there for like several years being irrelevant in NXT, slowly building them. But at NXT at, the, at that time was uh, not a highly watched program. It's not nowhere near what it is today. So a lot of people weren't really like bored by it because not a lot of people watched it, to be honest. It was when they started doing takeovers, they had been there for years and built themselves up. So I was saying... We're going through. We're going to go through a stage where it might take a few, few years to build this division up, and we're going to have to do do deal with you know maybe some independent stars, mm-hmm. and that's happening with the with the men's part of the roster too. Because for a lot of years, it was strictly indie stars who came in. They were champ immediately, and then eventually they go to the main roster. But now, and we still have a lot of those, but we're getting a lot of people who 
are grown from the from the ground up, such as Velveteen Dream. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think we're really at the top spot um, with that, with these women right now. So I'm really excited for this match. I think, especially because we have a lot of like, I don't want to say hardcore in the sense of weapons, but like hardcore in the sense of like personality, yeah. like very rough and tough kind of women in this match. So oh yeah, and they, yeah, like I said, you got Rhea Ripley, you got Shayna Baszler, you got... I said, even I said to degree Io Shirai, like I said, since she's turned the corner with her heel turn, she's made a so like she's she's such a killer. Like she's like she's like she's like I said, she's a hitman in that ring. I think that's that heel turn has really done her some good as far as her in ring style and her, her whole presentation. Uh, I I'm a huge fan of Candice LeRae as well too. I think that she's very yeah. underrated. And I think I can't wait to see what she does. I'm pretty sure she's gonna be involved in that War Games match as well. Uh, but like I said, I think this is the strongest that the NXT Women's Division has been in a very long time, if ever. Uh, so yeah, nothing but upside. I cannot wait until War Games. Yeah, it's gonna be great. On a related note, our next uh, topic of the three count, the final part of the three counts, we're gonna talk about how. So during Crown Jewel, it was announced that NXT is going to be taking part in Survivor Series. We are going to be seeing NXT stars on survivor series uh as you've seen in recent years we've kind of developed this whole thing about raw and smackdown people going against each other in survivor series well now they're going to be bringing nxt into this because now that nxt is on usa it is even more so just like a third brand and guys are staying there and uh, not only are are, uh, guys and women staying there but ones who were there before are now coming back to it i mean obviously finn bauer is the most notable case but i mean I'm not saying, but, you know, obviously we have the fashion police. Yeah. And then not only that, but I don't think it's a, a permanent thing. But, I mean, we saw the Kabuki Warriors, uh, you know, do a little appearance there. So I, I think they're doing a lot of stuff with that. And uh, so we're going to be seeing a lot of NXT people. Now, we don't know how. We don't know if we're going to be seeing them going one-on-one with, like, the world champions or if it's just going to be more mid-card people or what we're going to see. This is tough because I mentioned to you before the podcast, we run into an issue where, like, I don't think you can really use the people who were in like the huge matches the night before because you want to sell how big those matches were. So I don't think we're going to see anybody who's in war games because you want to sell that they went through a literal war. But if you but if you just had people who were like in singles matches or something like that, that you could convincingly have them there. Also, just the idea of a whole card filled with triple threats, I think is kind of weird. And do you do the whole uh, single elimination teams like an NXT team? Uh, a, w- a Raw team and a SmackDown team all in three different corners and do single elimination like that. Like, do you do that? I Man, I don't know. And also my biggest, like I said, it's been all up and t- down Twitter right now is potentially as of right now, if we were going to do the, you know, champions versus champions, you have Brock Lesnar, The Fiend Bray Wyatt, and Adam Cole, baby, in a potential triple threat, which... God bless Adam Cole, but <laughs> like I don't but, want to see him murdered up. But there. I mean, that's the thing, though. Also, is the like it, there's a show the night before. So if we're doing champion versus champion, does the match change if we have a champion a title change the night before? Do you see I me? Mean, even like I mean, I think it would be a little. I, mean, I could see Tommaso Ciampa maybe uh, in that match, maybe faring a little bit better. But I still feel like you know throwing Tommaso Ciampa to the wolves out there. Is, well, I mean, yeah, sure, <laughs> yeah, because Tommaso's a badass. But I mean. Let's just also be honest. He's a lot smaller than yeah. He's much smaller than Bray. <laughs> I mean, so. I mean, he's because he's a shorter guy. Yeah, and so and he's ripped, but he's a shorter guy. But yeah, I I think I think it's really exciting. But, but one of the things they, they typically do, I've noticed with Survivor Series, is always usually a last minute title change. Uh, yeah, and which I'm very curious to see, and I, I definitely see something like that happen because. 
uh, either Brock or uh, or Bray has to bring that title, one of their titles to Raw. Uh, that's not going to be a long term with SmackDown having two world champions. That just doesn't make any sense. No. So either someone's going to lose a title or to a, to a Raw guy, or that person's going to be moved to Raw. Uh, who knows? But I I'm very interested to see what we're going to be doing with with these matches, if they're going to be similar structured, if we're going to just kind of, and what guys are going to be cho- chosen to, you know, represent their, you know, individual brands. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, so we're going to move forward. Uh, that's our three count. And we're going to talk about our moments of the week where we talk about really what our best moment of NXT, AEW, uh, Raw, SmackDown. And if there's pay-per-views there was, which was crown jewel, which moments landed in our moment of the week. What do you got? Two months ago, they made me lay down for a guy in a mask because he's the hottest thing in the industry. I take off my mask. I'm the hottest thing in this industry. I don't watch this business. This business watches me. Finn Balor's promo was straight fire. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with his uh, NJ, uh his New Japan persona, Prince Devitt, you probably would never call Finn Balor a strong promo guy. Effective, but not like somebody like, oh my God, did you see Finn Balor's promo last night? And he definitely, like between his uh, his interview on backstage, uh, even the whole presentation that they did, because they, you know, they took clips from him being on TMZ, they made him look like a star because they made him seem like he was sought after between all the interviews and people trying to get words out of him. And he, very short, very concise, but if this is the direction his, his character is heading into, I'm very excited. Uh, one of the no, uh, things that was very interesting in that we talked about before we uh, we started recording is he laid into you know the office. He kind of broke the fourth wall with that whole comment of having to lay down uh, for the guy, but he never ripped into the audience, so he's still kind of in this tweener phase. Uh, either way, like I said, it's a definitely the the uh, it's definitely the kick in the ass that Finn Balor's needed. I I think he's very excited to, for this change, and like I said, if we get a little bit of that Prince Devitt mixed in to you know whatever you know Vince is going to allow, allow him to do in PG WWE NXT land, uh, it's going to do wonders for his character, and I think it's going to show Finn and a light that a lot of people are not ready for. Yeah, I completely uh, do agree that that was one of the moments of the week. Uh, I will let you have your moment, uh, but I will say that there were some issues I had with that promo. Uh, I thought that he said a lot of great things. There was a lot of, I thought that he kind of, the transitions between things was a little awkward at times. And I thought that he could deliver certain lines better. But again, we talked about how he's not really known for his mic work. Um, So I'm not going to hold him to a standard of like some who I would hold like, let's say like a Randy Orton, like somebody's been doing this mic work for so long. I thought that it was still a good promo, and it was. And his his opening, his opening was fantastic, and the line that you opened with there was utterly fantastic. But there were a few moments where I was just like, ah, that was a little. Rough. I will say this, like I said, it's WWE is a completely style, different style than New Japan. Yeah. If you've ever seen any of his post match interviews from New Japan, or even his like you know those press conferences they would have. Uh, it's very more, more raw and stripped down, uh, a lot more ex- expl- explicit. Uh, yeah. So, like I said, it's. I'm very interested to see where he's gonna go uh, go with this. Like I said, but uh, like like Finn said on back WWE backstage, the prince is back. Yeah. Uh, quick thing, uh, I was thinking about this the other day. Do you think maybe now that he's gonna be more heel, we could see maybe different versions of the demon, like more customization, maybe? 
Maybe because that was before he uh, he did WWE. He did a lot of cosplay and kind of yeah. things like they were different, not just the demonic kind of persona. Yeah, because he did like the Punisher, and yeah, Venom, Joker, and... lots of different stuff. Yeah. Uh, so maybe, uh, or maybe he might not do it at all. Maybe he, like I said, depending on how much he leans into this heel persona, maybe he doesn't want to be the demon anymore. Maybe he's maybe maybe we're gonna get Prince Balor and he's just you know kind of doing away. Like I said, if, if he really does lean into the heel thing, I think it would be a good thing to him to not do the demon for a very long time. It's not time. a bad idea. I would, I, honestly, I wouldn't bring the demon out until maybe he, like a years down the line, if he ever does turn face again, maybe, but I would leave it alone for the moment. Well, I'm, I'm just interested to see his first entrance because, I mean, you know, he, we're used to him putting the hands up in the air and I'm assuming he'll go the Daniel Bryan route. He did it <laughs> once. He didn't do the whole thing, but like when he first came down the ramp, he did one and then he just walked the rest of the way and kind of just killed him at that point. Uh, so, okay, uh, you know, it's really fitting because your moment of the week was a promo. My moment of the week is a promo, and that is John Moxley's promo on AEW. I am not going to recite any of it. I debated about doing that. Um, I'm not going to do it, one, because it was very fast and in classic Moxley fashion. The number two is that it wasn't really what he said in the promo that was effective. Uh, it was just how he said it, and how well he does it. Because John Moxley, you know what, hot take. John Moxley's the best mic worker in all of wrestling right now. And I've been saying it for years. I thought so many times, I'm just like, I'm watching WWE television, and I'm saying, let him loose, let him loose, let him loose, let him loose. And this was the one of those, I, I said it after, you know, uh, Double or Nothing, but I especially said it after this. I'm like, there he is. There is the Ambrose that I always wanted. This is the Moxley that we deserve. I thought that his he did, and he does he does a style that uh, probably not a lot of audiences are used to, because he makes a lot of his shit up on the fly. So he doesn't stand there, stare down the hard camera, and deliver it. He paces and he does it because I think a lot of this stuff is just coming to his mind like as he does it, and he just really, really hammered home the idea of. I am the most dangerous, badass motherfucker you've ever met in your entire life. And nothing you can do can prepare yourself for me. And talked about how AEW doesn't want to sanction it and all this stuff. And I'm just like, I'm watching this. I'm like, this thing in JR fashion is going to be a barn burner. Oh, yeah. And, and, and it's kind of funny because, like I said, I think that's the performance that Stone Cold was looking for yep. uh, when he had him on his podcast, when he said he wanted to see him cut loose and kind of let it into. And it really showed you, even even for him walking down to the ring and uh, giving the librarian P Peter Avalon the old DDT treatment and you know, scoot him out. Yep. If, if WWE was ever looking for their next Stone Cold Steve Austin, they let him walk out the door in April. Uh, yep. I mean, I mean... <laughs> I, uh, so I used to, I used to do a wrestling blog, uh, and one of my first articles I ever wrote was how Dean Ambrose should be the 100% guy for WWE going forward, the top baby face, like everything. And I think I, I think I wrote this maybe two to three months after the shield split. And I just... Because I always like, I'm, I mean, for a long time, I've been behind Ambrose for a while. And at that time, I was just like, you saw so many things that were top guy. But they weren't like the stereotypical things. They were just those those things you can't teach. Those things Intangibles. That, yeah, I'm just like, this is not good looks. This is not, you know, being super muscular, having an amazing finishing move, or any of that stuff. I'm like, this is just stuff that 
you just tell the guy to do his thing and he just goes and does it. And I think it was really, like I said, during that time when he, like I said, after the Shield breakup back in uh, so 2013, 2014, somewhere around uh, that time. Around that time, yeah. Yeah, like, I thought that was the direction they were going. Um, if you saw, like, the, you know, they were kind of building him versus Seth for a while. And, I, you know, obviously I think everyone knew that Roman was eventually going to be the heir to the throne as far as being, the, you know, their top babyface. Sure. That's what, you know, what the company wanted. But they had gold right there because the audience was fully behind. Even with the goofy stuff they had him doing, coming out there spraying guys with mustard and ketchup and things like that, he still was able to make a lot of that crap still work. Still got over. It still got over. Uh, like I said, he, he had that, like I said, like that it factor. And I think a lot, they... I feel like sometimes if it's not strict from creative or straight from Vince's, uh, you know, ideas, they don't want to run with it. Because I know a lot of that was his, exactly what it is. Because he even said, and I think in his podcast, that they had no ideas for him. Like that's why he, you know, he kind of came up with his look, the idea with the jeans and the uh, and the undershirt, and you know, the whole John McClane look, whatever. He was gonna, you know, he didn't really have any creative that was really given to him, so he kind of was gonna push himself and he said, "I'm gonna be the top babyface in this company," and he. Had they got behind him, we could be we could have been talking about right now Dean Ambrose being yeah. in the main event at you know WrestleMania or Crown Jewel tonight. I think it's I've said it for years, and he kind of laid into something similar to this uh, in the Jericho podcast about how you know they want guys to be themselves as long as they fit in within the confines of who they view that person as. Right. It's like, be yourself, except unless it's outside of this. Be your, the, the, the version of yourself that we want you to be. It's like, uh, you know, people always, all you have to do is just be yourself, and, and people will accept you. It's just like, there's limitations to that sometimes. Have you met me? <laughs> <laughs> I, what I always say is I, I always have people who I'd be, like, nervous for a date or, like, you know, nervous for doing something or whatever. And they'd be like, just be yourself. And I go, who am I? (laughs) (laughs) But okay, uh, so our big segment for today uh, is actually a fairly serious segment because... Also, before we go in, because that is going to be a very serious segment, but I would want to say one thing as a honorable mention. Oh yeah, go ahead. Natalia and Lacey Evans tonight. Oh yeah. That was a huge moment. Yeah. I think we should, that deserves to be mentioned on this podcast today. Yes. Um, I mean, I... I, it's good to see somebody like Natalia in that spot because she's been there. She's put in a lot of work, so I'm really happy that she was put there. I'm also very happy to see Lacey Evans because she's been putting in a lot of hard work since she's been starting. Uh, a lot of people have doubts about her, myself included, but she's a very hard worker. If you've seen the person, if you, you get a little bit of a glimpse of the person she really is outside of the ring with some of the work she's been doing charitably, whatever, I'm really happy to see those two got that opportunity and they really they went out there and killed it. So for the first women who were able to perform in one of these Saudi Arabian uh, events, uh, uh, I think it definitely is worth, uh, worth mentioning. Yeah, I'll quick quick mention of that. Uh, yeah, the that was an amazing moment. That was a social moment. That wasn't just about wrestling. Uh, that was a huge thing. And a lot of people, when we talked about this on our Twitter account, HTW Pod, we talked about how a lot of people are going to criticize that this is the match they chose, and we'd seen this match a thousand and one times. Well, this this wasn't about the match itself because yeah, the match was not the greatest, but that's not what this was about. In a dream world, of course, it would have been great if we could have had, you know, Sasha and Becky do this or whatever. Sure, of course. Uh, but the point I'll bring up, just as I said, we're going to move on. We don't want to go too much onto this. But uh, I think that this was probably the best move because they kind of picked 
Because you don't know how the Saudi uh, was going to re- react. Exactly. They reacted very positively. They were For the very, most part. They, yeah. So it, it was like, it, they weren't like booing them because they were women is what right. I'm saying. So that was great. But you don't know that. You don't know how they're going to react. They're going to be old school people who say, screw this. We don't want this. You don't want to put your top stars through that. Exactly. You don't want to like so you want to open the door for your top stars. Like I said, now that you know, whenever they go to Saudi Arabia next, you can work toward having like Sasha and Becky and Charlotte or whomever who you want to bring out there because you know you don't want to open up with that in case it was poorly received because you know you got one shot to make the best person impression. I think Natalia was a steady hand to do that with. Yeah. And lastly, uh, you, you talked about uh, Lacey Evans' charitable work and all mm-hmm. that. Uh, if you watch that match, uh, you know Lacey F. Evans took the loss. But uh, if you watch that match afterwards, you can see like the real Lacey Evans like mm-hmm. after that match is over and how emotional she was and how proud of a moment this was for her and her family and like all that stuff. And I yeah, very ha- very happy for both of them. So okay, we're gonna move forward with a uh, as I as I stated a little bit before a pretty serious uh, subject here. So we're gonna talk about this whole Jordan Miles situation with the T-shirt. Uh, there's been a lot of twists and there's been a lot of turns in this story. We're going to try and cover all of that. Uh, I always talk about, especially in social matters, address it. Don't ignore it. Don't act like it didn't happen. Even if it's not a popular topic to talk about, always address it. Um, so for those of you who weren't following, uh, what had happened was uh, Jordan, My- Jordan Miles, a wrestler in NXT, has a T-shirt that was pitched uh, approved uh, that if you look at it, it looks very, 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 very similar to blackface. And Jordan Miles decided to tweet out his frustrations with that and talked about how WWE is a racist company and has held all, held all these guys back. This story kind of evolved, um, and WWE made a statement saying that they gave it to Jordan Miles and that he approved it. Jordan responded saying that he. He saw it when he when he first, and the only reason he approved it was because he was talking to the guy who gave him the image, and he said that you know they were going to approve it no matter what. Don't you know Triple H is just going to go against it anyway, mm-hmm. um, and so he said he approved it because he just saw it as a lost cause. And then as time went on, he kind of just said, "No, I'm not I'm not going to stand for this." And there's been a lot of back and forth here. I mean, they've I. I believe they pulled the shirt um it's, i think the shirt's been pulled for a while yeah so it's 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 not like they're selling it right now but still it's the story of what's going on and a lot of people are discussing about you know the history of wwe as far as uh you know racial relations go and we'll, we'll get into that as we get into this segment um but the and there's been tons of you know former superstars who are of other races who have weighed in on it and who have some have had favorable opinions some have had not favorable opinions uh, but the big thing is that, and I, I really want to kind of lead with this, I think it was interesting, the responses that you received. Um, yeah. Um, let me, right, I, I want to open up with this. Uh, I kind of understand where Jordan Miles come from when if he didn't speak up immediately. Um, being a person of color, being a black man myself, uh, I mean, let me put this, this job that I'm working at now. I, I started this job. And... Um, Within the first month of me being there, we had a company barbecue in, in, the, in the parking lot. And uh, one of the things that we were doing, like games and events, and one of the things that was pitched to me to, you know, to, to take part of for my team was a watermelon contest. I said no the first few times because I did not want to, but they kept pushing and pushing and pushing. 
and being if anybody like say in that situation like I said sometimes you you don't want to be the angry black guy especially if you know you're at a job you don't, don't know these people you're not I'm not trying to cause waves but I really did say I really don't feel comfortable doing this I kind of I let them talk me into it because there's other people other black guy people who were doing it so I was like you know I won't be the only one but this is not something I really really wanted to do uh, I say that to say this like a lot of times you do get into that position where you don't want to be the guy to you know, cause the cause the wave or you know make a big deal about it, and whether I that that was right the choice on my on my end, I I still question today because I was still uncomfortable with it very you know for a while after that, uh, but I get that thing of like not knowing how to react to things and how's you know how it's gonna be viewed or, or if you're gonna be heard. Um, I also say that to say this, I mean before I get too much on whether or not you know WWE is racist or anything because that's I don't even really see that being the point. I do kind of lean toward agreeing with Booker and Booker T on one point where I would have not made this public unless the shirt was on WWE shop. Like, you know what I mean? I don't think it was at that point by the time he went public with this. Um, I would have not, you know I mean? Handle that behind closed doors. It doesn't need to be a big thing. Um, but, you know, it's out there, like you said. So address it. Um, I got bombarded with a few tweets of, and I even like pictures of you know, like, like monkey thing images, mm. and uh, uh, I, you know, coo- people calling them coons. Uh, the, there was an image, the the, the, the sweatshirt that um, I forget H and M came out with a, a while ago, oh, uh, yeah. where it said monkey on, and they photoshopped Jordan uh, Jordan Miles' image uh, image of his face. Um, and this is, like I said, wrestling Twitter is a very toxic place. I mean, I've, I've went over that a couple a very long time. It's supposed to be a place where we come together, discuss something we all enjoy. Whether or not you agree with what he did, it really just exposed the ugliness of what some of sometimes us as fans can be. But no, that's neither here nor there. I like I said, it, if you don't like what he had to say, that's one thing. If you don't believe him, that's one thing. But you to lean into it, and to, it became more problematic, at least on my end, from some of the tweets and things I received. So I'll leave it at that. Like I said, I didn't appreciate it, but you know I know how online trolls are. You can't you know can't take it too much to heart. I don't think that that shirt was created out of malice. I can't see somebody who working for WWE saying, I'm going to create this blackface shirt and troll this guy because I don't like black people or because of whatever. Uh, I think it was made out of ignorance. Uh, ignorance mean in the purest form of not knowing. Uh, because a lot of times, like say even my situation I told you about the watermelon contest, I don't think they really understood why I was so uncomfortable with it. And I didn't feel like spelling it all out like I don't want to be some, you know, like uh, some caricature of a black guy going face first into a watermelon thing. I don't feel comfortable with that. Uh, but I think a lot of times, and like, you know, just due to ignorance because you don't you know know any better or just because there's you know, lack of exposure to these type of things that people can make these kind of judgment calls without thinking. So whoever approved that shirt, I don't think it was like, oh, well, yeah, let's go ahead and you know, make a blackface t-shirt. Now, one of the things that was kind of weird to me was when I read the uh, the email he got is that, that Hunter wanted something that was teethy, yeah, toothy? more 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 teethy or something. And like that, yeah. that to me, I was like, uh, that was a little bit cringy. But I'm still I'm still gonna give it the benefit of the doubt uh, to degree. Now, people a lot of say like, oh well, you know, you know, how's W? You can't say WD doesn't care about black people because you know, look at what you know it did for Kofi and blah blah. blah. And even if you say Jordan Miles, his debut on TV was him winning a tournament and going, you know, head on for a championship match. So I don't think this was him saying that he didn't have like where his place was in the car. I think he felt that 
due to lack of representation, he wasn't being heard. And that is a very frustrating place to be when you are a minority. If you don't feel that you're being understood or you're being heard or people call it telling you that you're overreacting. I don't, I don't, I, 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 and I say this with as much diplomacy as I possible. I don't like when, I'm going to say, I don't like when white guys tell me things where I should and should not be racially offended by. Yeah. Because that's not really your judgment call to make. Mm-hmm. And I don't, and that's not me trying to be saying that you don't understand, you know, but to a degree, you don't. And that's not no fault of your own. You've had a completely different life experience. There's things that you, you know, my walking experience. If I told you stories of things I've dealt with cops, you know, some of that stuff would turn a lot of people's heads. I don't like to lean on that stuff. I mean, life is what it is. I, li- I was given this world. I didn't make it, uh, to quote Tupac Shakur. But uh, I say all this to say that whether or not you agree with Jordan Miles' stance, whether or not you think it was racist, I think what was important that people should have took from this is being heard and maybe having some sort of empathy Rather than, you know, trying to figure out what was right or wrong about it. I don't necessarily agree with how he presented himself. I don't really think, I don't necessarily agree with him calling Jake Leaf the way Uncle Tom. I don't, you know, I don't think any of that was necessarily called for. And like I said, I think Booker T said the best was if you handle your business, you know, it doesn't need to be social media's uh, part of social media. But like I said, I'm not going to tell this man what to be offended by and what to be offended by. But I was presented that shirt and it's just, I... May have handled, maybe, maybe not said it, you know, publicly, but I may have been offended as well too. I may, have, you know, probably would have had a problem with like I don't want, I wouldn't want to wear it. Let's be that way. I would not want to wear that shirt. Yeah, obviously because of my placement in society, like I, I'm not going to say that I have the most valuable position on this, but I will say just kind of my thoughts um, with what you said about guys trying to say that you shouldn't feel a certain way or like whatever. It's I had this conversation with just to be honest, a Trump supporter a few years ago where he's they said i'm not racist and i said you but. don't decide <laughs> what well, well not only that no it was i was calling the guy racist uh-huh. and he's like i'm not racist i'm like but you don't get to decide that <laughs> like your actions speak for themselves and it's just because you say i'm not racist doesn't mean just make you not racist yeah i and i kind of generally agreed with what booker said too now we don't know the full situation uh it could have been that he tried to handle it privately and then maybe nothing was coming of it, and then he just kind of wanted the world to know. Part of me thinks he wanted to, he wants to get fired, and that's and that's, and even if he did, this is still not the move. That's yeah, and th- that's what's kind of interesting about it is I'm look he's going really into it, and I was like this is kind of a fireable offense, but then WWE's in a position where they fire somebody over this that looks bad on them. Exactly, I mean both are, it's kind of they're, they're kind of at a standoff at this point. Like yeah. I said, I mean, I don't know what it is that he wants from the company at this I point. Is it an, like an apology? I don't think the shirt was ever. Like I said, I think they already said the shirt was going to be pulled. Um, and, and on that, I, like I, I agree with you. I don't think because that was my initial reaction was that I was like, okay, that's bad, and I, it was an ignorance thing too. Uh, it was almost like I know you've seen it, but for the for anybody listening out there who have not seen Get Out, uh, there's scenes in the movie where like there's white characters who say things that they're not like that straightforward, like hateful racism, but it's that ignorant racism to where it just comes off as bad. And that's the issue I had with WWE's statement. See, when they came out, they, in my opinion, did not need to say, well, he approved it. Maybe slightly mention that and say he did approve it, but we probably made a bad decision in this. And, but they didn't really do it. They kind of just was, they were just like straight up while he proved it. And I was like, that's not the best stance to take. Yeah. And that was kind of my issue with it because I could totally see this as like, 
sometimes maybe you create a design or you make a joke or something like that that you legitimately don't mean any uh, racial reference in it but then when it's presented out in the open a lot of people see it and like oh i was actually not referring to that at all but i can see where you're going with that and so therefore let's not do that like Mm -hmm. a i'll moment of honesty i i'd wrote wrote a uh, joke in a script in college and it had nothing to do with race but people made a connection between race and this joke and i said okay yeah didn't intend that but i see where you're going with that so it's we shouldn't do it because we don't want that to be communicated to anybody Mm -hmm. because like that's your thing is that even if say nobody creates this racial joke about jordan miles you run into the situation where you have actual racist fans might have now fuel to put up against the guy because it's not like jordan miles is kind of like this jokey kind of character they can make fun of and I'll, and I'll lead into that with what he said about, like, WWE being racist. And I don't, like, go full force saying they're, like, a full-blown, like, racist company. And a lot of people use the example of Kofi and, like, Booker and, like, guys like that. Yes, they give opportunities to guys of other ethnicities and races, of course. But there's a glass ceiling. And that's the problem. Because Kofi, yes, was given the WWE Championship. And he lost it in five seconds. And then as soon as his reign was over, he was back to being in a tag team. And it's, they didn't even mention it. They didn't, he didn't cut a promo talking about how he's going to one day get back there. Or he's going to join his brothers for a while. Nothing. Just act like, kind of act like it never happened. And I felt the same thing with Booker. Because I, for years, I talked about how there was tons of great black superstars who had never won the world title and people would you know say well what about booker t the big thing with that was that one at that time everybody knows that the world title was lesser than a wwe championship but let's just say for a second that it's not right the fact of the matter was was that booker t challenged triple h for that title when it was the big title and the whole angle was that he was this black wrestler that no one could take seriously and he was just there to have fun and he was just there to make people laugh and it was very much kind of like a 1920s like oh they they leaned heavily into the racial uh, yeah. aspect of that with the booker t thing and like i mean to the point where that I mean uh triple h what he said to his face uh, that someone like you yeah, could yeah. Do, they brought up his criminal past sure they I made mean, the, the dancing and things like that it just and the way he lost that match yes his, and, and, here was the, and here was the thing, was that that storyline, maybe not fine, but it's acceptable when he overcomes it. And he's, he becomes victorious because then it says, because then you at least can make the argument, whether you agree with it or not, you can make the argument that they're communicating these bad things, but they're showing that it has been overcome. And Redemption, in, overcoming yes, all that kind of and, stuff. And Absolutely. we're in a new age now. But that didn't happen. And I understand, again, possibility that that was not their intent. And that's understandable. But here's the problem, is then uh, not too long after, he eventually did win, and a lot of people are going to have a problem when I say this, he did win the world title as, guess what? A joking, fun, not serious character. A lot of people like King Booker. I have a problem with it because of its counterintuitive narrative 
to how he lost it, lost that title match before because they were making the joke constantly that he's just this fun, loving character that no one's ever going to take seriously and a guy like you is never going to win. And then he goes and he creates this silly character to win that title. And there, as I said, limitations because a lot of people didn't see him seriously as this intimidating you know, top star or anything like that. He was not taken seriously really at all. It was more just like a fun thing that was happening. And that's, and that's unfortunately. And that's not the presentation Booker T was given in WCW. And it's really not at all to think about that, but you have to really give WCW credit for being more ahead of the curve on on that thing. Uh, Other than GI bro. Other than GI bro. (laughs) uh, But like, yeah, Booker T was presented as a legitimate contender. Uh, I mean, granted, I mean, a lot of that was in WCW's, decline uh but i still think he was even like before his world title run uh his singles push was still taken very seriously yeah, yeah. He, yeah he did the spin rooney uh yeah he was you know a fan favorite he did the dance and things like that but he was always shown as a very tough guy and a threat to anybody he was in the ring with um hell like i said wcw crowned a black champion before wwe did with ron simmons um and like i said there's been plenty of guys come through wwe's doors who i think um could have been top guys uh, I mean, I mean, Mark Henry obviously got his uh, his Hall of Pain uh, push eventually, uh, but like I said, that was by the time when the world title was kind of downgraded to the secondary top championship, if that's what you want to put and, it as. And his feuds were against just like the most like over the hill, like kind of slow. Like it was. Big. I'll put his match with Big Show at that Survivor Series was actually pretty good. No, it was. Or good. It was a, Vengeance of Survivor Series. I think. I think, I think they might have both. Yeah. Well. No, the match was fine. What I'm saying is, like, it's not like he was going up against, like, top, top stars. He took it off of Randy. That's, I mean, that's fair. Randy, that's fair. Randy's that's always fair. been presented, like, as one of their golden boys, so I'll, I'll give them that. That's fair. Uh, but like I said, to kind of bring it back to where Jordan Miles, um, like I said, I can understand being presented that shirt, maybe not know how to react to it, maybe being quiet about it, maybe not venting your frustrations in the beginning earlier on. Um because, like I said, you know, sometimes you don't want to be the person to, you know, you just, you just don't want to come off like angry, angry black guy sometimes. Like I said, that's legitimately a fear sometimes I have. It's like, I don't want people thinking that I'm trying to make this about race. I just want, you know, go about my day, but I don't like this, but whatever. I mean, and it, it sucks having to live inside that box. I can only imagine what it's like to do that in such a, like in a company like WWE when you really are trying to get ahead, especially when you're new to the company and the structure. I don't necessarily like him, like, kind of throwing everybody else into it. Um, saying that you know, like I, said, I don't see the. I think that if there is, WWE's probably had a very problem as far as lack of representation and just ignorance and being tone deaf. But I don't think things are done out of malice. I think they've shown growth with the way they present not only people of color, uh, but with their women's division. Uh, I mean, obviously, even with uh, we, you know, even you take that outside of African Americans when you take it to people of Middle Eastern descent right now, uh, people of, uh, of you know Hispanic descent. You know, you don't have guys you know come out there and you know. Hey, love Eddie Guerrero, but no one's being presented as a, you know a thief or, or and things like that anymore. You don't have these guys who are middle Middle Eastern be presented like terrorists anymore. So I think there are strides being made, and I think these are always teachable moments. Uh, but I think, like I said, I definitely feel like he could have handled it a lot differently. Uh, differently what he did, and like I said, the Uncle Tom comment towards Jay Lethal, I thought was completely uncalled for. Yeah, I didn't agree with that either. Like I. Yeah, that's kind of what I mean. Because for a while, I was kind of like you know, like kind of standing with like, yeah, like I agree with this, whatever. But when he said that, I was like, you know, that's the last thing we need to be doing is the whole crap mentality of dragging other people down just just to try to get over. I mean, if you're trying to get attention, you, whatever you, your personal feelings about Jay Lethal, that should be between you and Jay Lethal. If you guys have any problem, like, but to throw his name out there, I thought that was a little 
that was a little classless. So yeah, that was that was uh, our topic there, and we're gonna move on uh, to one last bit before we end the show. My list of Jericho. Now, as I said last week, I was kind of struggling to find anything on Jericho and ECW. Uh, there's a good reason for that. He only spent about two months in ECW. <laughs> um, not not a lot of promo work, which is really kind of odd. But I think that's right. That was also during the time that Austin was a big part of it. Uh, but he did have uh, some great few uh, matches with uh, people like uh, Tuco Scorpio, who he won the TV championship from, uh, Taz, Sabu, things like that. Uh, but like that's also during the time when Austin was kind of you know down there, kind of developing what we were going to be seeing at Stone Cold uh, later down the line. Uh, but this was kind of the Lionheart Jericho, still very white meat babyface, uh, kind of adapting to what the ECW style was, where you had a lot of guys like that who were like Malenko. Uh, and uh, Benoit, who were like the technical guys, and could get down and dirty, but they weren't—they weren't necessarily part of that hardcore ECW style. Um, fun note: uh, he was actually brought into ECW through uh, Cactus Jack, aka Mick Foley's uh, reference. Um, if you ever hear anything as far as Jericho uh, talks about everything he was doing uh, from his time in Japan to his time in, uh, in Mexico, Smoky Mountain, leading all with everything was stepping stones to get him to WWE. Uh, so, uh, like, not a whole lot to work with on this. I mean, it's very similar to what he ended up doing during his baby face, face run in, uh, WCW, uh, which he debuted there in August. Uh, but like I said, I kind of wanted to leave it in, in that realm. Like I said, he, I think he, uh, like I said, this is still very early Lionheart, a white me baby face Jericho. Uh, but since, you know, it's a very short time. I'm going to give that Jericho probably a little bit less than what I got Thrill Seeker Jericho because you saw more personality out of him in Smoky Mountain than you do actually in uh, in ECW. So while he was still very good in the ring, put on really great matches, I'll go ahead and give Lionheart ECW Jericho a 5 out of 10 on my scale of Jericho. Yeah, and this is really leading up. Uh, like about two months later, he does go to uh, to WCW, which I will go into next week, and I'm going to kind of cut it off uh, at the end of his babyface run there. Uh, but I, like I said, very like some he's been, I think, really in the business, at least professionally, for about two years at this point. And it's interesting to see how uh, guys who are on TV and trying to, you know, kind of make that uh, that transition to becoming a star find themselves. And you can definitely see him still, you know, finding those little quirks and things that we end up seeing later down the line as staples of Jericho. Like I said, there's still a lot of the, yeah, babies. And I think he even got the flex and pin with the mm-hmm. foot over uh, on, the, on the chest. Um, still, you know, very dynamic performer. Uh, still very, you know, very, very evident that there was a a lot of Michael's influence on his uh on his performance in the ring, but just not a whole lot to really cover as far as what his time in ECW was because it was so short. Um, but like I said, I think Jericho is one of those guys. Like I said, which you're going to see later down the line. I think as as much as he's good as at being a babyface, he can definitely get over get over as a babyface. He's a very natural heel. And I think even with ECW's uh, format, when the guys who are more of the hardcore, you know, bruiser types, whatever, they're over in that arena, even though they're kind of presented as heels. Uh, you can tell he was kind of, I don't know if he was bothered by it, but you can tell he was kind of listening to the audience and started developing those things that kind of later on the line he learned how to, you know, manipulate or kind of, you know, react to in a way to get what he wanted out of. So I, I this seeing him as a, in, a, in a singles run uh, as opposed to his tag team run uh, with the Thrill Seekers and Smoky Mountain was you know was definitely very different. Like I said, I would like to saw more promos out of him, but was a whole, wasn't a whole lot to get out. Um, I know you said you weren't really. 
obviously watching DC. Did you ever see any early Babyface Jericho even in WCW? In WCW, uh, I've watched it since. Uh, I when I started watching wrestling, Jericho was in the midst of his heel run in WCW. But since then, I've I've went back and I watched some of his early stuff where he was kind of getting into WCW and he was like a heel or sorry he was a babyface uh, cruiserweight. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, not when I was started it and I I hadn't seen any of his ECW stuff. This is during the time where I think fans were starting to become a little bit more cynical. I think ECW was very groundwork of what WWE ended up being with their Attitude Era. So I think you you bring it in a guy who's just a darn good wrestler and sometimes it doesn't really do, do you any benefit. Uh, I think the audience weren't really receptive to him, which I don't know if that had to anything to do with him being there for only two months or if WCW just offered him more money. Uh, I do know that uh, in his uh, it's in his documentary that's on the WWE, and I think he might have mentioned it in one of his podcasts, uh, but he was actually hired by WCW uh, through Eric Bischoff to be WCW Shawn Michaels, uh, which is ironic because they're both you know two of my favorite guys out there. This is, I think, right around the time when he does end up, before he turns heel, he starts to actually kind of, I'm going to say pull away, because there's those traces of him, uh, Michaels are still there, but you still start to see more of Chris yeah, uh, rather than the influence. So I think this was kind of the early breeding ground for, you know, getting more Chris Jericho, singles guy, not, you know, thrill-seeker Jericho, which... Reason, one of the reasons I wanted to do this Jericho segment, because like I said, he's a, a master class on how to you know develop a character, how to get yourself over. And even like these early days when you're still trying to see him uh, find his, I think he had, he took a lot of experiences, whether it be from Mexico, Japan, Smoky Mountain, ECW leading up to this point now. Um, you see all those traces, those things, you know, the Mexican style of wrestling, uh, the psychology and the storytelling that you get a lot from Japan. Uh, you see, the, you know, so you didn't get really in the promo stuff, but that's not really what, you know, other than a few things he got to do in uh, Smoky Mountain, like those music videos, <laughs> but like um, there, he said he still hadn't found that Jericho voice yet, as far as for his promos yet, at least that I saw. Uh, so, like I said, I'm ve- I think a lot of that was more developed in in WCW when he was able to finally get his heel run. But we'll get to that later. See, uh, saying that uh, after you doing this segment, it kind of just reminded me of an analogy, and that's saying that Jericho had a had some time in ECW is like saying, oh, well, Eminem is from St. Joseph, Missouri. Yeah, like, it's exactly uh, that. Like, yes, technically. This is why it's funny that they, they, when they did that ECW one-night stand that he was kind of highlighted in there as well, too, because, like, see, he's not what you would call a, a WC, ECW guy. Uh, Taz is the ECW guy. Even, hell, even Cactus Jack. And, uh, but Stone Cold is not really, but I, say, I think he's given that 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 uh, title because that's where he developed that, that character as far as yes. the promo was, was concerned. But, like... He's not even really what I would he call He still him. has, like, moments that people remember. Yeah, like those, yeah, like him dressing up like Hulk Hogan or Eric Bischoff yeah, and things Bischoff. like that. All right, everybody, that wraps up the, this week's episode of the Hot Tag Wrestling Podcast. Again, as usual, if you guys want to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and we are at HTWPod. You can subscribe to us on Anchor, on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or really wherever you listen to podcasts, wherever it tickles your fancy, you want to listen to us, you can listen to us there. You can subscribe and be updated on any podcast that we post. For now, I am your featured attraction, Brian Dusky. I am the fantastic Mr. Nicky Fontaine. And we'll see you guys next week. Goodbye.